Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us for this latest episode of the INC Preview Show here on INC Live. My name is Carl Bainbridge and my ever-receding bonnet, and I'm joined by my guest as ever, John Martin MMA. John, thank you very much for joining us. What's up, Carl? Thanks for having me back on the INC Live channel. We've been breaking down these pay-per-views for the past few months now, and this might be the best pay-per-view we've had yet to date. Maybe the best pay-per-view since the one back in May when the UFC first came back from that two-month break. So this is a stacked fight card top to bottom. There's a ton of great fights to talk about, so it's going to be real fun to talk about these fights. A little bit of house cleaning before we get onto anything regarding the card, though. Uh, I just want to say a big thank you to anyone who was joining us for the first time. Please like and subscribe uh, to our channel, like the video as well. And also, if you want to support us financially, you can do so on the Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. Or follow us on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash incagefighting. John also has all of his social media connections. Uh, John, if anybody wants to follow you in a bit more detail, where do they need to go? So if you're looking to listen to the Martian MMA podcast where I talk about the betting lines for every UFC fight, you can find that on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and YouTube under Martian MMA. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is UFO underscore UFC. You should be able to find me by just searching Martian MMA as well. So give me a follow there if you're looking to listen to any betting podcast about the UFC on a weekly basis. Any uh, any big winners that came up on that Rose and Strike gone by card? No, not the greatest card for me, betting-wise. Uh, I gave out some decent tips on my Twitter. I predicted uh, Alexis Davis' money line as an underdog, Thiago Moises' decision as a plus 600 underdog. So I put out some good bets on Twitter. Uh, didn't do so great on my track bets on my record. Um, but if you, make sure you follow me on Twitter because I give out a lot of free winning bets there all the time. Before we actually get on to USC 259, though, we're going to talk about some of the stories which have been happening in the world of MMA, also some of the things that we can expect over the coming weeks and months. And this is our first opportunity to talk about USC 258 and what many people think was arguably the best title defense of Kamaru Usman's career so far. Yeah, that fight was amazing. Nothing like I expected. I mean, you can go back and listen. I expected a lot of uh, cage time, Usman pushing him, pushing him to the cage, keeping him against the cage. But, I mean, Usman barely attempted any grappling in that fight. Um, maybe a little bit when he was tired. or I mean, when he got hurt in the first minute, he kind of clinched up a little bit. Of course, there was that staring match on the ground for a, a bit to, while Usman recovered. But, I mean, Usman really showed what he was made of, championship material, Got stunned a bit early there, but recovered, started getting his jab going, and then showed his accuracy of his striking. I mean, the dude is such a better striker than people perceive him to be, and he really showed it in that fight. Um, I wasn't expecting a knockout that early. I certainly wasn't expecting it stemming from strikes on the feet, too. So uh, I definitely didn't predict that one accurately, even though I predicted Usman winning. Uh, the dynamic of that fight that I expected was was not there. So, I mean, it was a pleasant surprise. It was an awesome fight, and Usman uh, showed what he's made of. I think if there's one maybe negative that comes out of this, though, is we're going to have a lot of issues when it comes to the welterweight division. Because if you look at the people that Usman's beaten, most of that top five, top six, he's already gone through. I mean, there's a lot of talk saying that they're maybe going to do a Jorge Masvidal rematch, try and sell it around the idea of uh, Masvidal only having six days notice. Obviously, it's going to be a big money fight because he's one of the biggest draws in the sport. I think welterweight, welterweight has a lot of great fighters, but it's getting very hard to match make these days. Yeah, uh, I mean, 
the the Masvidal rematch, in my opinion, would be egregious. I mean, that fight wasn't remotely competitive. Sure, Masvidal took it on six days' notice, but not much is going to change, in my opinion, in the rematch. The guy who's more deserving of a rematch is honestly Colby Covington because he was the one who actually had a very competitive fight with Usman. And I think there's no real clear contender right now. The guy who's probably closest to the front of the line is Wonderboy Thompson, honestly. He hasn't fought Usman yet, so I would be down to see that. Um, Leon Edwards, of course, is fighting Bilal. I think that's in two weeks, and he could jump to the head uh, of the line there. Of course, he's on a seven-fight win streak, but the inactivity has kind of plagued him. So it's kind of wide open at, at welterweight. Like you said, there's a lot of different guys who could challenge for the title. I think Colby, Jorge, Wonderboy, and... Leon Edwards are all in the title picture. They realistically all could get the next title shot. So it's a wide open division. The initial reports are saying that a potential Usman versus Masvidal match could take place around about September. That's many months away. We don't know what could happen. There's a lot of rumors. They might be linking that one to the Ultimate Fighter. One fight that is gaining a lot of traction right now. It's all but confirmed. I have to be honest, of all the title fights coming up, this is arguably the one I'm most excited about. John Whaley, Rose Namajunas, UFC 261. Yeah, I can't say I have the same level of excitement for that one. I think that the one on this card, uh, Jan versus Sterling, I think is the best fight in MMA. So I can't wait for that one. And this should be a great fight. Both women are great strikers. Um, I didn't expect good things from Weili Zhang over her first five-round fight. I expected her maybe to have some cardio problems. But, man, she proved me wrong. Her cardio looked great in those later rounds. She showed championship durability, pace, output. I mean, she really impressed me a lot in that fight. And even though Rose Yamunas has looked sharp in her past few fights, you got to kind of question that that cardio drop-off we saw in that round three from her in that Andrade fight. She lit up Andrade in rounds one and two, but then by round three, she was the one eating the damage. Of course, she ended that fight with that huge swollen eye of hers, but still won the fight. So I've got some questions around Rose. I mean, stylistically, I think she could be the better striker. She could give Zhang problems, but I worry about her cardio a little bit. So I'm expecting a close fight. It should be a back-and-forth decision. It should be a great fight. Uh, So I see why you're looking forward to it. Well, I certainly hope so. I mean, how many times have we bigged up fights and seen them non-deliver? But on paper, when you look at how aggressive Whaley is, when you look at how technical Rose can be, uh, I mean, Rose had her own great fight against Joanna back at 223. Um, So I think the stage is set potentially for another good one. And also as well, Shevchenko versus Andrade, that's going to be on the undercard as well. So a good showcase potentially for women's MMA. Yeah, they're giving Shevchenko a, a tougher test. Uh, the odds are already out for that fight, and it's obviously the closest the odds have been for a long time uh, for Shevchenko uh, since the Ioana fight. That was the last time she had an opponent that was actually remotely close in the betting lines. Um, so it's nice to see uh, a test for Shevchenko, especially after dropping around to Jennifer Maya there. I mean, that fight was one round apiece at one point, which is not something we're used to see seeing from uh, Shevchenko. So Andrade could realistically give her a lot of problems. I hope they're not going to do what I think they are. I mean, if Whaley was to win this fight, bookmakers have her mm-hmm. as the favorite. Uh, there's a lot of murmurings that if Whaley was to win that one, they might do her versus Shevchenko or Andrade because there's a lot of... She's wanted the Shevchenko fight for a long time. She's beaten Andrade before. And it's sort of something we'll touch on when we talk about uh, Jan and Izzy. Are the USC going a bit overboard with the double champ stuff? Yeah, I mean, 
the double champ thing is is ridiculous at this point. I mean, I understand doing it when you have Conor McGregor and it's a big draw, but when you start giving them to Henry Cejudo and Cody Garbrandt and giving Israel Asanya, you're giving out these double champ opportunities to every single person uh, in the UFC. I mean, it really diminishes the value of the titles. It disrespects the people who are fighting in those weight classes. Uh, you and me both are not a big fan of this, but that that looks like what they're trending to, man. I mean, we've already heard rumors of Zhang and uh, Shevchenko. They've already kind of like faced off and seen each other in person and fooled around a little bit. Um, but yeah, that would be just such a waste, in my opinion. I mean, they're certainly not going to give Zhang Tatiana Suarez. They don't want Suarez wrestling her for five rounds and having her as the new champion. So I can see them giving that uh, super fight if both of those women win their fights. Sadly. I think we'll talk about it in a bit more detail when it gets to 261. Our focus right now is 259. Now, we were quite critical of USC 258 and the lack of quality on that card and the lack of star power. I think it's safe to say the UFC have more than made up for it for this one. Not only have we got a stacked uh, main card, three title fights, two big matches as well on top of that. Some of these prelims coming up here, which you can see on the screen right now, some of these, we've got a lot of high-quality match matches. We've got a lot of star power. Dominic Cruz, of course, is the name that sticks in the mind of a lot of people, former Bantamweight champion. Is anyone a bit surprised, though, that to find him fighting an unranked guy in Casey Kenny? I mean, Casey Kenny, obviously, he's on a good winning streak himself, had that great win over Nathaniel Wood. But Dominic Cruz, in my opinion, even though he'd been out for three years, and even though he was a step behind Cejudo, he still looked fairly okay. And you just think to go from title fight to unranked guy just seems a bit of an extreme drop-off? I actually don't think so. I, I like the matchup for him. Um, I'm actually surprised you said he's not ranked. Um, looking at the rankings right now, I think I think you could put Casey Kenny out there. I mean, Bantamweight is a shark tank, though, so I understand why he's right at the edge of those. But, I mean, Casey Kenny's a great fighter. I've been high on him for a while. He's very proven. He's well-rounded he's a great striker great grappler so i think this is actually a good test for cruz i think giving cruz uh somebody in the top 10 or something like that would have been um kind of cruel i mean i didn't like that cejudo rematch or the cejudo fight i mean he comes off the couch after three years and jumps in against the champion uh that was wrong from the beginning and he did not look good in that fight so i i mean the ufc's decision making is just not great you mentioned on this, uh, the, the past few cards have been kind of weak. I mean, it's not just 258 that was weak. These past few fight mm -hmm. nights that we had were weak, and they had heavyweight main events. Two of them ended before they could even go in the five rounds, and then the one last night that went into the five rounds ended up being a terrible fight. So, I mean, I think the UFC's decision-making this past month with the fight cards was terrible. The way they put all the good fights on this one card um, is kind of silly, but hey, we're past the point of complaining now. We already suffered through those bad cards, and all we got is this amazing card coming up, so we should probably stop complaining and just uh, enjoy the fights, you know? How much of overstacking the card is maybe down to what we've been seeing with the UFC Apex? Because obviously the world is the way it is. Are we... And the UFC is sort of banking and saying, hey, even if we do lose two or three fights for undisclosed reasons... We're still going to have a good card regardless. That could be the, the the logic behind it. But, I mean, I don't think that 258 really followed that logic. You know, I mean, they if, God forbid, Usman or Burns didn't make weight, they would have been left with Alexa Grasso as the main event. Um, 
which so everybody I wants. don't really think that. Yeah, um, I don't think that they would have. They did this intentionally. I think they like that three title fight thing when they do the stupid poster with the three champions on there. They like that little gimmick. They think it sells for some reason. Um, I think it's kind of inefficient to stack the cards mm. this heavily. I mean, Cruz and um, Joe Benavidez on the prelims. That's that's kind of doesn't make good business sense in my opinion. But um, who knows? It's not really worth questioning the the decision making of the UFC. They're not really making their decisions based on logic and reason a lot of the time. Who knows what their decision making is is based on? It's good that you mentioned Benavides as well because you wanted to talk about that fight with Askarov. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the prelims uh, we're talking about. We won't talk about all the prelims. I think there are a lot of sneaky good prelims. I mean, even the ones we're not going to dive deep into, Kyler Phillips versus Song Yidong, Kai Car France, Hajirio Bontarin, and some, some interesting prospects fighting on the card too. Uh, Uros Medic, Sean Brady, Carlos Oberg, who's a, a training partner of uh, Whitaker, I believe. And even the first fight of the night, Trevin Jones versus Mario Bautista, that's a fun fight between two lesser-known guys. So even the fights that we're not going to talk about in depth on this podcast, there's still going to be great fights and uh, heads up for those fights. So make sure you're in your chair from the first fight to the last fight for this card. I'm glad you mentioned Medic as well because I was going to make a, a point to mention him. I thought he looked fantastic on the Contender series. Yeah, he did. Super fun, uh, entertaining striker, and that should be a fireworks matchup. But... We mentioned the uh, the Joe Benavidez fight, the Askarov fight. Um, I think we should talk about that one a little more because, I mean, Benavidez is still, what, the second or third ranked uh, bantam or flyweight. Askarov, I think, could be a top five flyweight. I mean, these are two top five guys going at it on the prelims. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this fight. Um, who, are, who are you looking to, to pick to win this fight, Carl? Have you thought about uh, a winner here? I was, I was very concerned with what I saw from Benavidez up against Figueredo. Now, Figueredo is arguably has a good chance of being the dominant flyweight of this sort of era of the division. But I thought Benavidez, sometimes a fighter just has that match where he just suddenly look old. And in my opinion, I think that that was Benavidez's fight, the second match he had with Figueredo. Yeah, the second fight, I mean, he, he did not look good. But I mean, I think that's kind of hard, hard to judge him on because the first fight, I thought he looked pretty good i mean he was fighting a little recklessly he was leaning with his head like he typically does he was eating some big counter shots but i mean i think he was winning the fight up until the headbutt then he got distracted then he got knocked out and it is fair to question where benavidez is at because he has looked sharp in 2019 beating ortiz and formiga but then since then he's also gotten knocked down four times by the hardest hitter in the division so it's fair to have your questions around joe benavides's durability his age um but those 2019 performances dustin ortiz and formiga you got to go watch those fights because joe benavides even though he's getting up there in age he's still an amazing fighter i mean he's a dynamic striker he's an incredible defensive grappler and in terms of a pick for this one, I see Askar Askarov as mostly a grappler. He doesn't have terrible striking, but he's primarily a grappler. He likes hitting takedowns, staying in top position, going for some slick chokes. And pretty much doing that against Benavidez is a bad game plan, in my opinion, because he can scramble, he can defend takedowns, he can defend submissions. He's an amazing grappler. He's extremely hard to hold down. And we've seen that recently against Ortiz and Formiga, who are great grapplers. So... 
in my opinion, I'm siding with Joe B here. Uh, he's the underdog right now. I disagree with that. I think if your primarily game plan, game plan is to grapple against Benavidez, then I can't favor you in a fight against him. So I like Benavidez here. I think he outstrikes Askarov. I think he stuffs takedowns. He scrambles, and he finds his way to a decision here. It's what are you thinking, Carl? It's certainly going to be really interesting to see that one. And I think... It, it's to be given, given the lack of drawing power that the flyweights have. But in my opinion, this should be a main card fight anywhere else apart from, say, 259. But the flyweight division has been really transformed over these past two years. And I think it's we should be get, giving it a lot more respect and putting it on the prelims. Yeah, true. I mean, this could easily be a, a headlining fight. I mean, one of these guys... Joe Benavidez, not in particular, could be in line for a title shot because he just fought Figueredo. But uh, Askarov is on a win streak, and if he beats Joe Benavidez, he should drop, uh, jump to the list of the next title shots. And I'd like to see the guys get five-round experience before they get a title shot. That's one of the problems with Aljamain Sterling later in the card is we haven't seen him go those full five rounds, and that's a detriment to him. The UFC could have easily made that Sandhagen fight a main event on some fight night, but they, they stack these fight nights with heavyweights and Derek Lewis fights that don't go outside the two rounds, and we don't end up seeing these guys uh, go the full five. So this fight should be five rounds. It's an amazing fight, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to start off by going to the first fight on the main card, and this is another fight that could have arguably been a good fight night main event. We are going to the light heavyweight division. Thiago Santos is taking on Alexander Rakic. Uh, before we actually get to the fight, though, we need to. I just want to ask you a question. Is the light heavyweight division actually good? Because on the one hand, you look at the actual talent level of the fighters, and maybe it is lower than, say, the other male weight divisions. But this division, since John Jones moved up to heavyweight, has become amazingly open. You look at that top five, top six in that division, anyone could realistically beat one another. And it's, it's really fascinating to see the sort of transitional period that the light heavyweight division's in. Yeah, that is that is true. Um, we kind of talked about this earlier. I uh, sent out a tweet on my, my Twitter a few days ago about this, and I don't think it's really a good division. I agree that it's a competitive division. I agree that all five of the top guys, or actually all six, including uh, Jiri, honestly, could just beat each other on any given night. So that does in, um, produce entertaining fights, but in terms of skill level for the division, I'm not too impressed with it. Um, Blahovich in that Reyes fight, I mean, he did get the job done. He did look like the better fighter, but, I mean, he looked choppy. He looked kind of stiff. I think he had a lot of weaknesses in that fight, and he was still um, really smashing Dom Reyes in the feet. And you look at just the way these fights have been uh, going at the top of the division, Glover and Santos, a sloppy back-and-forth fight where Santos is butchering Teixeira on the feet but just can't stay on his feet, gets taken down. I mean, the fights are entertaining, no doubt, but they're not very technical. I wouldn't say it's a good division, but it is It is wide open, and um, this should be a fun fight to kick off the main card. Uh, do you have a, a, a lean here, Carl? Do you have some guy who you're favoring? Well, at the moment, the bookmaker's odds are seeing Alexander Rakic to win this one. He's a minus 170 favorite to Thiago Santos' plus 140. I... And personally, I, I agree with that one. I would have Rakic as the favourite. Not confident enough to put any money on it because, as we've seen from Thiago Santos in the past, he can absolutely crack if he gets the chance. Uh, but there were concerns which I had about Thiago Santos going into the Glover Teixeira fight. And I think the performance in that sort of 
it emboldened those opinions. I think an ACL injury in any sort of sport, whether it's mixed martial arts or soccer or American football, is a very hard thing to come back from. And I just had this fear going into the Glover fight that he was just going to have lost that extra step that he had before, like when he was before he went into the fight with John Jones. Because Thiago Santos, I knew a lot of people who were very sneakily thinking that Thiago Santos, with that explosiveness, could give John Jones a lot of problems. But in that Glover fight, yes, he rocked Glover a couple of times. Glover managed to power through it. But once it did hit the ground, Santos seemed a little bit clueless what to do there. He he sometimes has this habit, I think, with Glove with um, Santos, of trying to explode out of situations, and Glover just remained true to his resolve and stuck to the game plan and got the submission. Um, it, it, yeah. was, it was concerning to see as a Thiago Santos fan to see those limitations, and I think when you look at Rakic, who not only has the striking, who not only is an explosive fighter himself but he also has that wrestling. Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points. Um, with Santos, I don't think it was so much the ACL. I don't think he looked particularly slower. He's always been a bad defensive grappler. I mean, it's been his problem early on in the UFC, getting tapped out by Eric Spicely. I mean, Eric, even Eric Anders was able to take him down several times, take his back. I gassed out Anders in round three, was still taken down. Uh, Tiago Santos in that fight. That's really the reason why I picked Glover to share to win there. He had to go through the fire to get there. He had a ton of damage and and persevered through it. I mean, we also got to give Glover to share credit. Mm-hmm. He should be the one fighting for the title. He had an amazing performance. He's on a five-fight win streak. I mean, talking about the top guys at light heavyweight, Glover to share has four wins in the top ten right now at light heavyweight. Israel Adesanya has zero fights at light heavyweight, and he's the one getting the title shot. That's just wrong, in my opinion. But we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, with Rakic, as you mentioned, yeah, he can strike, he can grapple, he can clinch well. He just has more ways to win the fight, in my opinion. He can win it at distance, and if he win, wants to win the fight in the easiest way, he's just going to push Santos against the cage, look to take him down, look to grind him out against the cage like he did to Smith in his last fight. That was a, a terrible, boring fight, but he won the fight efficiently. He barely ate any strikes in that fight, and that was a good practice for Santos because if he goes in with the same game plan to just mitigate risk, to push uh, Santos against the cage, look to grind him out with his grappling— I think he will win the fight. And even if it's at range, I think Rakic has a good chance to win. Um, but Tiago Santos can't be disrespected. That explosive power of his, his hard leg kicks. The leg kicks will be a big factor mm-hmm. here because in the in Rakic's one loss in the UFC, which I didn't think he lost. I thought he won this fight. He did eat a lot of leg kicks from Volkan Ozdemir. He was kind of limping at times in that fight, and that probably lost him the fight. Um, so the, the leg kicks are going to be something to look out from Santos here for sure. I'm also concerned with Rakic as well when it comes to his uh, striking defense because I did a bit of a binge watch of some of Rakic's old fights and I came across the fight he had with Devin Clark. Now, Devin Clark isn't an out-and-out striker, but there were times where Devin Clark was rocking him, he was dropping him a couple of times, and it was arguably that sort of like Hail Mary spinning back fist that bailed Rakic out of that situation. He could have very easily have lost that fight to Devin Clark. Yeah, that's a good point. That wasn't a good look in that fight. He is a bit defensively lazy, but 
I mean, I think Santos, you know, he's not a technician. We saw the mm. way he knocked out Jan Blahovic. He literally ran at him in a straight line and just spammed punches. So he could do that here. He might be able to touch the chin of, of Rakic. Um, but technique-wise, if they're just striking at distance, I think uh, Rakic getting clipped like that would surprise me a bit. But Santos is going to make it ugly. He's going to try to get inside and, and do that crazy uh, striking style of his. But thinking back on his past few fights, I think he's kind of tamed down a little bit i mean he went balls to the wall versus jimmy manuel and then the first few rounds versus blahovich were, were really low output i don't think he really let it go and then in round three he was like all right i'm going back to my roots i'm going to swing on this guy and it worked and then versus john jones that was a slow pace he fought safe that entire time he was swinging on glover to share but then he was getting taken down so i don't think that that style of Santos just unloading on guys with big combinations like he did versus Manoa is going to work much more. I think guys are learning to realize that he's a bad grappler and they're just going to level change whenever he starts swinging. So I don't like uh, Santos's chances here. Uh, I was a bigger fan of the guy in my past, but I think my opinion of him has dropped off a little bit and I'm siding with Rakic to win here. You made a really good point there in the changes in Thiago Santos's fighting style. And one of the big connections I noticed was He's a lot more conservative when it was five rounds. Now this is a three-round fight. Are we going to maybe see the more explosive, wild Thiago Santos that we saw in the Jimmy Manoa fight? Yeah, that's true. That's, that's a distinction I didn't really make. Um, all three of his past three fights were the five rounds, so maybe he was trying to conserve a little bit. Um, true, we might see the the old uh, Mejeta from 2017-18. That would be fun. Um, and certainly this fight, in my opinion, has... It has the potential to be that sort of exploded opening fight that the UFC like to do as the first fight on the main card. Um, as mentioned before, Rakic is the bookmaker's favourite. There is value in a Thiago Santos knockout, but I think we're going to see Rakic wrestle him to a unanimous decision. Yep, I expect so too. Against, uh, he actually didn't even hit any takedowns versus Smith officially, according to the stats. Um, it was really just pushing him against the cage, grinding him out, maybe sweeping his legs at times. So Rakic doesn't really need to hit like double leg takedowns for, per se. He just needs to get Santos's back against the cage, which will the small cage will help. Um, and I think he does kind of grind him out. Um, it, it has potential to be a fireworks fight. But I'm not expecting it to. I'm expecting it to be kind of a stall and wall kind of fight for 15 minutes. It's a good thing you mentioned double leg takedowns because that brings us quite perfectly into our next fight. We're going to the UFC light heavyweight division. Islam Markachev is taking on Drew Dober for this one. Uh, the bookmakers odds for this fight have Markachev as a, quite a heavy favorite, minus 340. You can get Drew Dober at plus 250. This has really been set up as potentially a showcase fight for Markachev. He's already got a lot of fanfare because of his Khabib connections. He was supposed to fight RDA on a main event. Unfortunately, that fell through. And in the case of Drew Dover, it's a deserved reward for him, considering his upturning performances recently. Yeah, this fight was actually supposed to happen like three or four years ago. I didn't know this until recently, but like I think they weighed in and Islam Mahachev like tested positive uh, with USADA like right after the weigh-ins or something. So there's actually a picture of them like weighed in from 2017 together. Um, yeah, Islam's a hard guy to, to really rally behind because he's so inactive. He has a lot of problems with injuries. He hasn't fought since... Dabi uh, Hamos back in September of 2019. So that inactivity really is a detriment to him. 
And this is a good fight for him, though. I mean, I like Drew Dober a lot. He's a fun striker, but to put it simply, he's just not a great defensive grappler. He makes a lot of footwork mistakes when he gets too close to his opponents. Like, sometimes he rocks his opponents with punches, and then he'll end up getting too close to them and getting taken down like he did in the Daryush fight, in the Alexander Hernandez fight. So if Dover wants to win here, he's going to have to land a punch. He's going to have to knock Islam out because he can't win by submission or decision, in my opinion. I think the most likely path is Islam just wrestling Dover here. I don't think Dover has the defensive grappling to stop it. So I think Islam should do his thing and grapple his way to a decision. What, in your opinion, are the big tricks when it comes to Markachev? Is a lot of people, obviously, because of his Khabib connections often try and paint him as just being the exact same type of grappler. I actually think he's a lot more scrambling heavy than Khabib. And I think he's willing to, at times to give up position if it means trying to chase that submission. I think Khabib's a lot more of a control-based grappler than Makachev is. Yeah, definitely. He, um, Makachev is a better pure wrestler, in my opinion. Like, if you watch the Armand Saryukin fight, you see his incredible wrestling ability there. And he does take more risk on the ground. He... Doesn't land as much ground and pound. I think he's more like sub chasing submission oriented, like you said, while Khabib likes to just control and to land ground and pound. Um, Islam is a little more control and submission oriented. Um, he doesn't take an extraordinary amount of risk, though. I think that we'll see a lot of leg lacing here, a lot of grinding against the cage. Um, we have seen Dober submitted before, though, uh, a few times, I think. Even Daryush was able to get him in some scrambles and eventually catch his arm there. Um, so it really matters about how Dober, how intense Dober is about getting back to his feet. Because if he gets taken down and he's content to just stay safe on the ground and lay against the cage, we could see a 15-minute decision where it's kind of boring. If Dober is adamant about getting back to his feet and scrambling up, which I think he will be because he comes from the same camp as Justin Gaethje, and that's what we saw with Gaethje. He would get taken down, and he would just try standing right back up, even though it was Khabib he was grappling with, one of the best grapplers. He kind of made some bonehead mistakes there, gave Khabib a lot of dominant positions. So that really realistically could happen here. We could see Dober get taken down, pop back up to the feet, and give up a back take, and Islam could just uh, end the fight right there. But I'm expecting a more cautious performance from Dober. I think we'll, we'll see some moments on the feet where Dober lands like a hard shot and it looks like Islam's hurt, but then Islam will get the takedown anyway. So I'm cheering for the upset here. I'm cheering for Dober to catch the knockout, but I don't think it happens. You just made up a really good point there, which I was going to ask you about, which is if we do see some striking exchanges between the two, how do you see those playing out? Because one of the big things that a lot of people have noticed with Drew Dober and this upturn in form has been the improvements in his striking. He's now sitting down on his punches a lot more. He's throwing with power. We saw that when he fought um, Nazrat and also Scott Holtzman. He finished him as well with strikes. Um, and Markachev, while he does have striking, and we saw that when he fought Gleason Tebow, finished Tebow pretty much straight away, it's a crude striking style. He has power, but it's not technical. Yeah, he's um he's pretty good. Uh, I was just checking on the record real quick about Holtzman because I didn't remember that. He actually, I think he went to decision with Holtzman. Uh, um, sorry, I must be thinking of someone else. That was, yeah, I was like, uh, I think you were thinking Hernandez, of Hernandez. Hernandez, um, sorry. Um, yeah, so I was checking that. Um, I'm try I kind of 
tuned you out for a few seconds. You were saying something about Islam striking, right? Yeah. Um, Islam is a decent striker. I think he's actually a little bit better than Khabib. Um, he's got a, that southpaw striking. And I think he... These these Dagestani guys are weird because some of them are primarily grapplers and some of them actually have pretty slick striking. Like uh, Tagir Ulanbekov, Umar Nurmagomedov, those guys are actually slick strikers. Um, and I think Islam has a little bit more of that style. I don't think we see much striking though here because I, I really think Islam could be in trouble on the feed. The one time that we've seen Islam lose, I think he did get knocked out by a left hand by like Adriana Martins way, way back in the day. Um, so I think that that Southpaw versus Southpaw matchup could present some problems for Islam. He might not see those punches coming too well. And I think that he could be in danger for getting hurt and knocked out on the feet. So I don't expect very long striking exchanges here. I think Islam should shoot pretty adamantly. I think so as well. Um, bookmakers have uh, Makachev as a heavy favorite for this one. And I'm going to go down the same road as well. Um, it's just the question becomes, does Makachev manage to get that submission or does Dober's durability hold him out and he ends up taking the 30-27 loss? Yeah, what, what are you leaning with? What, what do you I'm going to lean towards a decision. I think the market yeah, is going to go for a lot of submissions, but I think Dober's going to manage to fight out of the majority of them. So I can see 30-27, maybe 30-26. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, I think this is... Um kind of a step down in defensive grappling terms for Makachev. Like Armand Saryukin and Davi Hamos are both great grapplers, so he didn't really have any chances to submit them. I think he will have more opportunities to submit here, so it wouldn't completely surprise me with the submission. Um, maybe it'll be worth looking at what that Islam Makachev uh, submission prop is. It'll probably be like plus 300, though, which is not too intriguing. So, yeah, I'll go with decision. We're on the same page here. I will say when it comes to, you mentioned Markchev versus Sarukian. I had a couple of my friends over back when we were allowed to do that. Uh, I had a couple of my friends over <laughs> to watch that fight card. And one of my friends is pretty much the ultimate casual. Like he hates any kind of grappling. He loved Markchev versus Sarukian. He was so engrossed in that fight because the scrambles were just fantastic. Yeah, one, one of the best wrestling fights uh, I've ever seen, honestly. Um... And I'm I'm glad you said that. Uh, I'm glad some people can appreciate the grappling. Yeah. Uh, also, as well, I recommend uh, Benavidez versus Ortiz too. Another great wrestling based match. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I I think I tweeted about that one a few days ago. Yeah, that's one of the best grappling fights I've ever seen in my opinion. Just nonstop grappling scrambles. So we go on to our first title fight of the evening, and we're going to the bantamweight division for this one. Yota Yan makes the first defense of his bantamweight belt, and he's doing up doing so against the Sarah Longo um, pupil, Aljamain Sterling. A lot of people are quite surprised to see this one almost overlooked by the UFC, and a lot of people have arguments over the reasoning for this. When you look at how good the bantamweight division is, though, and you look at how competitive, you've got people like Harvey Sandhig and Cody Garbrandt, who's coming off that big knockout win. You've even got Jose Aldo still hanging around in the mix as well, almost as a sort of veteran, wily gatekeeper to trip anyone up. Bantamweight is arguably the best division in the UFC right now. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Um, I think they are kind of overshadowing Jan a bit. They gave him the same spot on the 251 card, the, third, the first of three title fights. Uh, I would like to see it ahead one here. I think it should be the second one, but 
whatever. It's not worth uh, getting too uh, upset about. But yeah, it's, it's an amazing fight. I mean, both of these guys, in my opinion, uh, are top 10, top 15 fighters in all of the UFC and all of the world. Aljamain Sterling has made incredible improvements in his time in the UFC. I mean, we've seen him grow, uh, develop better striking, really find his home as a grappler. And Peter Yan has come into the UFC as an excellent fighter. He's fine-tuned himself. He's gotten those wins. He got his championship under his waist, and he's the rightful champion right now, even though Aldo you know, wasn't the most deserving uh, challenge. I mean, he was coming off of a loss after all. Um, but I still think he, he's a, the rightful champ and uh, really looking forward to this fight. It's amazing. I won't go into my details fully yet, but uh, we'll talk about it soon here. You make an interesting point there when you mentioned about Yarm being the deserved champion in the division right now. A lot of people argue that maybe he isn't because someone pointed out this interesting start. At no point on Piotr Yarm's road to the title, did he ever fight someone ranked in the top five? Because the title fight against Jose Aldo, it was number three versus number six. But a lot, there's yeah, a lot of people that... out there who maybe still have some question marks about how good Piotr Jan is. But if you're one of those hardcore fans who watches all the ACB shows and saw this guy when he's coming up through the prelims, this guy's got a lot about him. Yeah, um... Personally, I see where the criticism comes from around his, his resume critique, I guess you could say. If you're looking at rankings, yeah, he hasn't beaten anybody in the top five per se, uh, even though Rivera and Aldo are right at the fringe of that. Um, but skill-wise, if you watch the skill he's shown in his fight, he has shown skill-wise cal uh, championship caliber skill. Um, and even in the Aldo fight, that was a championship-level fight. Even though Aldo is past his prime, he still looks sharp in that fight. I mean, rounds two and three were back-and-forth, high-pace, high-level striking rounds where Aldo still looked close to his prime. He didn't have quite that that pace and that speed that he did in his prime, but, I mean, his, his technique, he was digging to the body. They were going back-and-forth and even exchanges. Uh, so that was a worthy uh, title championship winning performance in my opinion Jan showed championship level caliber turning it up in those later rounds and really taking it over unfortunately we had that egregious stoppage too which kind of overshadows that fight for being how great it was I think the big thing that stands out for me with Piotr Jan is his intelligence he is a very smart fighter he sometimes does start off a little bit slowly and we saw him struggle against Jimmy Rivera because he was he was having a lot of trouble trying to read Rivera, who was just staying on the outside, using his footwork, using his movement. But once he started understanding the sort of works that came with Jimmy Rivera, he started landing those big punches. He dropped him twice at the end of the first and the end of the second round. Third round, fairly comfortable from Piotr Jan's perspective. He is a very intelligent fighter. And when you mix that in with his boxing and his footwork, his pressure... He's going to be a very tough ask for Aljamain Sterling. But, as we've seen over the past two, three years, Aljamain Sterling has made substantial improvements, especially when it comes to the striking side of the sport. We know he's got the wrestling game as well. Comes from a great grappling-based gym as well in Sarah Longo. A lot of people are reading this fight as striker versus grappler. Is it that simple? No, not really. Um, the dynamic is... Striker versus grappler, I, it's not, you can't boil it down to as simple as that, though, because both guys are extremely well-rounded. Um, but I do think that, that Aljamain does need a grapple to win. 
I think that Jan does have more ways to win. Uh, great point about Jan being intelligent. I do think he's the more intelligent and, and adaptable fighter. So if he loses round one, I trust Peter Jan to adapt and to find a way to win the later rounds more than I do Aljamain Sterling because we haven't seen that type of adaptability from Aljamain. A lot of his recent fights, he's looked great in. Um, I mean, they're kind of one-way traffic, the Rivera fight. I mean, I think a lot of people might be looking at the Rivera fights and seeing Aljamain beat Rivera pretty cleanly while Jan had more trouble with them. And maybe they're favoring Aljamain based on that. I don't think that means too much. I think they're entirely different fights. And Jan showed great adaptability, great persistence. He was losing that fight, but at the key moments when it mattered, he was able to drop Rivera, swing those rounds back in his favor, and to win that decision so I agree that Jan is uh, the more intelligent fighter. I think he's uh, more versatile in terms of well-roundedness. I think he can win the fight in more ways, as I just said. So I do think Aljamain needs to grapple. I think he needs to hit takedowns early. And I don't like Aljamain's chances at controlling Jan for three rounds. I don't think he can hit takedowns and keep top position enough to win three out of five rounds to a decision. So I see Aljamain needing a submission to win the fight. And he will have opportunities to in the first two rounds. Um, but whether uh, the question of whether he gets that submission, that's really up in the air. So, Carl, have you watched the uh, Jan versus Magomedov fights? That was what I was just about to bring up because there's a lot of people who went into this. And I'm one of those people as well. I personally went into this sort of binge watch of all the previous fights thinking Aljamain Sterling was going to win because of the grappling. And then I watched the second uh, Magomedov fight. Because anybody who doesn't know, Magomed Magomedov is a very highly touted uh, grappler from Russia. Just made his debut in Bellator recently. And what, 30-26, these uh, opponent on his debut. Don't know the name of the guy off the top of my head. Um, and yet, he is this highly decorated wrestler in Magomedov who couldn't do anything about Piotr Jan. And I thought to myself, if he can do that to Magomedov, he can easily do that to Aljamain Sterling. Now, Aljo's a bit more of a scrambler than Magomedov is. Uh, he chases the submissions a little bit more. But I think Piotr Jan has faced a higher level of grappler than Aljamain Sterling is. And I think he's going to be able to uh, avoid any sort of hazardous situation. Yep, I agree there. I think every podcast, every analysis that you listen to this week of this fight should mention the name Magomed Magomedov. If they don't, I think they're they're doing something wrong because that is the best analog of this fight we have to look at. That's the best grappler that Jan has faced. And in his first fight back in, I think, maybe late 2016, early 2017, it was like Jan's fifth or sixth pro fight. And he did struggle more in that fight. I think he was taken down in all five rounds. He had his back taken in all four or four out of five rounds. But Jan showed defensive grab. Or he, he got taken down, but he showed good submission defense. He showed ability to hit sweeps and submissions off of his back. He was actually attempting arm bars and triangles off of his back. And he also showed the ability to get back up to the feet and to continue outstriking his opponent. He outstruck Magomedov the entire time throughout that fight, but he just struggled getting taken down. Um, it was a really close fight. It should have gone Jan's way, but in literally the last 10 seconds of the fight, they headbutt each other, and the referee gives Jan a penalty, and then he loses the decision. I, I think that fight honestly could have been fixed in some way because 
I mean, the fight was over, literally 10 seconds left, and they go, oh, deduct a point from Jan, and then he ended up losing a, a split decision. But in the rematch, the one that you just mentioned, you saw clear, clear improvements from Peter Jan. He barely got taken down at all, at all in that fight. He didn't get his back taken at all in that fight. And he showed clear improvements in his defensive wrestling. So he showed good submission defense. We know that if he gets his back taken, he can defend, he can get back up. But there was kind of some problems around his takedown defense. But in the next fight, the rematch, we saw improvements in that takedown defense. So it shows that Peter Jan is working on his grappling. He's getting better as a defensive grappler. And the next question I'll bring to you, Carl, is have you seen the Peter Jan versus Jin Su Sun fight from his early UFC career? I believe that's the one. I think he dropped the Jin in, I think, the, the second round, I think. He, uh, it was one, uh, son is just this crazy Korean dude who was like getting hit in the face and like sticking his tongue out and like keep walking forward the entire time. I mean, he was getting his ass kicked the entire time, but he even hit a few brief takedowns on, on Jan. Um, so I, I don't, I don't fault you for that, that fight not being fresh in your memory. It was, I was a few thinking years of, ago. Um, I was thinking of, uh, Ishihara. Yeah, that was his, his debut. I think he got him out in round one actually, right? Could be wrong. Um, but that that uh, that Sun fight, I think that could be in people's minds a bit too, because Jin Su Sun, uh, a below average uh, Korean fighter, was able to hit a brief takedown on Yan, um, and Yan is a bit reckless when he's defending uh, when he's defensive wrestling. He kind of gives up his back at times. So Aljamain will have opportunities to take that back early. He's gonna have to hit the takedown and get that back take, but. I think Aljamain's window to win is much smaller than Jan's. I think Aljamain really needs early takedowns in this fight in rounds one or two, or else Jan will start to butcher him on the feet. He's going to start kicking his legs, doing damage to Aljamain's legs, and that's going to make shooting a lot harder for Aljamain. So I think Aljamain needs to start fast and needs to have early success. And if he doesn't have that takedown, that back take in the first two rounds, I think he's going to lose this one pretty decisively if it gets into the later rounds. Uh, we won a poll on the main page at INC, and we asked people for who they thought was going to win this one. It's surprisingly, it's very, very close. You've got Piotr Jan, 53%, Aljamain Sterling, 47 Um Personally, I'm leaning more towards sort of 60 65% in favor of Piotr Jan uh, for a lot of the main reasons that you came across. I think he's got the striking advantage. He's shown good takedown defense. And I'm in the same boat as you. I think if Aljamain Sterling doesn't get this done in the first two rounds, which he's more than capable of, I have to point that out, then I think it's going to be a long night for him. So I'm going to say Piotr Jan wins this one. Um, if there's a stoppage, it's going to be in the fourth or fifth round. Yep. And just looking at the betting lines, we're actually seeing money come in on Aljamain Sterling since we've been recording this. He was like plus 110, plus 120 last night. He's down to a pick now. So it's currently a coin flip, 50-50 odds. Going into the fight, I was leaning like 53, 55% Jan. But after doing my tape for the fight, after watching those Magomedov fights, uh, pretty much an hour of fights of 10 rounds, I'm going more towards 60%, like you said, for Peter Jan. I think he has an advantage uh, enough here to, to pick him up to 60%. So... The betting line currently has him at like 52%. I might end up with a bet on Peter Jan, but you might as well wait. If you like Peter Jan, wait, because the action seems to be pouring in on Aljamain Sterling right now. And I don't I don't fault the betters on Aljamain at all, because if a guy is taking a clear round one in this fight, it probably is 
uh, Aljamain Sterling. So you might get a better chance to live bet Peter Yan here. You might be better off betting those Peter Yan knockout props, round three, four, five. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit sooner than you. I'm going to go with round three uh, knockout for Peter Yan. I think that he probably gets taken down once or twice in the first two rounds, but he works his way back up to the feet. We don't see him put in too bad positions. And one last point I'll say about Sterling. I think his grappling is being a bit overrated right now because his last fight, he was able to take down, back take, rear naked choke, Sanhagen in two minutes. It was an extremely impressive win. Sanhagen is a fellow elite fighter. But Sanhagen just isn't a good defensive grappler to the same level that Jan is. And I think that people are kind of overrating Aljamain's submission threat after that because I mean, he had close grappling fights with Brett Johns. Brett Johns was able to stuff a lot of his takedowns. Uh, Brian Caraway was able to. Even Cody Stamen had a close grappling fight with Aljamain before he eventually got knee barred there. So I think people are, are kind of thinking that Aljamain is this, this elite-level grappler. He's a great grappler, but I'm not quite ready to put him into that elite category yet. And I think that that, that quick submission is kind of diluting people's minds a little bit here. So... I think uh, I think Jan's getting a bit disrespected here at, at the coin flip price. I think uh, Jan's going to win this one um, by TKO in round three. Home main event time, and we're talking about the women's featherweight division. Amanda Nunes defends her belt for the second time up against Megan Anderson. Before we actually discuss the fight itself, I want to talk a little bit about the women's featherweight division. Now, we've passed four years since this belt was created, and we all know the main reason why it came about. The UFC tried getting Chris down to 135, she couldn't do it, and 145 was basically created as a means of appeasing her. But Chris is no longer part of the company, yet this division hangs around almost in this sort of zombie state. Like right now we have four natural uh, female featherweights on the roster. One of them is a 38 year old who's had one pro fight. And even though I do <laughs> like a lot of the girls, um, there's no one there who I would consider sort of must-watch television. If the UFC are keeping this around for the reason I think they are, which is them trying to get Nunes over by having a lob around the vanity belt, it's not having the impact they think it is. I don't think it raises her stock fighting people like Megan and Felicia Spencer. It mothballs bantamweight when that division needs a lot of help. And it doesn't do anything for pay-per-view numbers because Nunes versus Spencer was what, 80,000 buys, which is the lowest since 2004. For me, the UFC needs to do one of two things. Sign 15 to 20 girls and make a serious attempt at the division. Or scrap the whole thing. Because this sort of like one foot in, one foot out, we kind of got a division, but we haven't really, isn't helping anyone. Yeah, I, I fully agree there. I think it's uh, it's considerate how much thought you put into this because I, I honestly don't even care about the division enough to have thoughts like that but I, I agree with everything you said i was i was kind of wondering who the who the 38 year old woman is daniel um wolf. daniel wolf wow yeah contender series right um didn't they just match her up with some really crude matchup with with spencer right felicia, felicia spencer? spencer yeah <laughs> that's that's terrible i mean um yeah it's 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 a terrible division i mean Farron Dos Santos is is garbage. Um, Leah Letson hasn't fought in the UFC in, in a long, long time. So there's really three or four fighters in the entire division yet. Um, I think they're kind of just keeping it around as like a trophy division for Nunez. I think they signed 
Megan Anderson, and now they kind of don't know what to do with her. I think they planned on putting Megan Anderson in this title fight a long time ago, but she just lost and lost, and they finally are able to put her in this spot here. Um, so you can you can start off talking about your prediction for the fight, Carl. The, the odds in this one are uh, Nunez minus 1,200, but to put her chances at a little bit above 92%, I think. So you agree with that? Well, I put this to the uh, poll on the uh, YouTube page, and they've got this 90% for Nunes to win this one. So uh, that's around the same sort of uh, price to give her versus Felicia Spencer. But the thing with the Felicia Spencer fight was, even though that fight was a mismatch, and a lot of people believed it could be, at least you had the novelty of Felicia being a grappler. We know that she's durable. She could possibly go into the fourth or fifth round. What sort of fight are we going to get then? Megan doesn't even have that. I think she's going to be a slower striker. Uh, her movement's not going to be as good. I don't think she knows how to use her reach the best. And if it goes to the ground, it's going to be one-way traffic. So I'm not as intrigued by that fight. I mean, there was a little bit of a fascination with the Felicia Spencer fight, I have to admit. I don't see that with this matchup. I just think it's going to be one-way traffic. Yeah, I actually kind of... I kind of disagree. I think there's a little more of a threat of a finish here in the early fight from Anderson than there was in the later fight from Spencer because I think Spencer needed a submission. You just need a lot more to go right to get a submission. You need the takedown. You need the position. You need the submission. Wow. We could see just one shot, possibly Rock Nunez early. But if you want to bet Anderson, just better by a knockout in round one. I'm looking at the props for it right now. They already have props out for this. Megan Anderson, knockout in the first round, 32 to 1. Knockout in the second round, 50 to 1. That's the only way she can win this fight, in my opinion. She's not going to have the cardio to knock her out in the later rounds. She's going to have to knock Nunez out in the first two rounds, or else she's going to just get wiped out on the floor. I honestly think the, the, the fight goes... Anderson lands a punch, Nunez double leg takedown, Nunez lays on top, and just repeat that process for five rounds straight. Um, Nunez's past few fights, man, they've they've been bad. They've been hard to watch. Uh, the Duranime fight in particular, I thought she looked uh, pretty pathetic in that fight. I mean, she won the fight clearly, but she didn't look like a championship caliber fighter. She looked a bit gassy. She was kind of tired. She got rocked on the feet at times. I don't like this 145-pound weight class for Nunez. I think she looks, like, significantly worse than she does at 135. Like, that extra weight just doesn't doesn't do good things for her. Of course, she's had some memorable performances, like knocking out Cyborg. But uh, even, like, the Holly Holm fight at Bantamweight, I mean, she looked much sharper in that fight. I think she kind of looks, like, a little chubby and slow at this 145-pound weight class. So I'm expecting another boring decision. But Anderson is bad enough on the mat that we might see Nunez find a finish. Um, I mean, Duranime is not a great grappler either, uh, and Nunez was too tired to attempt to finish there. If Nunez's cardio is in a little bit better shape here, I could see her getting a finish in rounds three, four, and five because Anderson is just so bad off of her back. She's not going to be able to stop any takedowns, and Nunez probably just lays and prays for 25 minutes. The one thing I've noticed with Nunez as well and this is probably one of the things that might give Megan a bit of a chance here. Nunez has started getting into this habit where she wants to try and beat her opponent at the wrong game. She could have very easily finished Felicia Spencer on the feet. But for whatever reason, she wanted to out-wrestle her. She wanted to out-grapple the grappler. And she was very happy to stand and trade with Jermaine in that first round. And only change tact when Jermaine cracked her. 
So if she tries doing that with Megan Anderson, tries to strike the striker, Megan's always going to have a puncher's chance. And we have seen mm -hmm. Megan, admittedly against lower-level competition, she can crack. I mean, Holly Holm yeah. didn't want to strike with Megan Anderson, which should tell you something. Yeah, so... I mean, realistically, 32 to 1 for a first-round knockout, I, I'd take that for, for 5 bucks or something like that. What the hell? Um, you might as well have a little bit of fun in the fight. Um, I mean, it's certainly you certainly don't want to have a bet on, on Nunez by decision or something like that, just waiting the whole 25 minutes to hoping that Anderson doesn't get finished at some point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think Anderson has... A minuscule chance. I mean, I'd say a little bit better than uh, Felicia Spencer, a little bit better than um, Raquel Pennington, but I put her chances right around Jermaine Durandamese at, you know, 10%, something like that. So uh, I'm not looking forward to this one. I don't think it'll be a good fight. And uh, hopefully we get a finish and it does go to the full 25. I would be interested to see what happens. Let's just, let's just put in this sort of perfect scenario here, this sort of like dream scenario. Well, Dream, if you're a Megan Anderson fan, Nightmare, if you're a Nunes fan, I'm getting crossed up with all my tangents here. But let's just say, for example, Megan Anderson does land that perfect right hand, drops Nunes, finishes this fight in the first round. What did the UFC do there? Because you mentioned before a big reason why they're keeping featherweight round is as a trophy fight for Nunes. But if she no longer has that, we're left with this situation. Do they run the rematch again? Or did he have her go back down to 135? Because the issue we've got is 135 is pretty much dormant right now because Nunes is doing all the stuff at featherweight. So really, you have to do something at bantamweight or else you're going to have people like the Holly Holmes, the Juliana Peñas, the Aspen Lads of the world all saying, hey, I want to shut up that title. Yeah, I think if Anderson pulls it off, I'd say to just shut down the division, give Anderson a, a Reebok fight kit and uh, send her off into retirement or something like that. Um, uh, I mean, realistically, I guess they do the rematch if that if that happens, because Nunes has defended the belt so many times. But um, and then if that rematch happens, we'll, we will see Nunes like Ben Askren out there shooting for a takedown literally as the fight starts in the first five seconds. So um it would, it would be a fun little little upset to see if it happens, but I realistically don't get your hopes up because Nunez probably just double legs her 10 seconds in. That's where, that's where I think it's going to go as well. Um, she's either going to play it safe, out-wrestle her, and finish her with strikes in the first round, or she's going to catch Megan in the first round, and Megan's not going to like getting punched. We can see her maybe getting wobbled a couple of times or either finished against the fence, or Megan tries shooting, and Nunez gets the job done on the ground. Yeah, I think uh, I wonder what the inside of the distance line for Nunez is here because I think people could be thinking like, oh, it, it's going to go the full five because uh, Nunez's past few have. But I think that Anderson is a significantly worse defensive grappler than uh, Jermaine Durandame and Felicia Spencer and probably less tough as well. So she might kind of wilt to uh, mm. and kind of get finished. Nunez knockout. At, oh, wow. It's at pretty much even money, 50 percent for Nunez knockout. Uh, I don't like that. I wonder what Nunez's submission is. Um, and we did see her. We, spend, we saw her come close to getting one against Felicia. 
Oh, really? I Your memory of that fight is a little bit better than mine. I can't find the submission prop for Nunes here, but um, I'd say we talked about this fight long enough and we have, <laughs> we have better fights to talk about. Certainly so. And a big one coming up here in the light heavyweight division. It is champion versus champion. It is Jan Blachowicz versus Israel Adesanya. And of course, is he getting the chance to be a double champion? There have so far been, I believe, uh, six champion versus champion fights in the UFC. Seven if we include Henry Cejudo, who fought for a vacant belt. And at the moment, the fighter going up in weight class to challenge the champion is four and two. So the only failure has been TJ Dillashaw and BJ Penn. A lot of people believe Israel Adesanya will be another success story. He's the bookmaker's favorite for this one. Before we get onto that fight, though, we need to talk about Jan Blachowicz and the career turnaround this guy has had because it was October 2017. He fought Devin Clark at Fight Night Gdansk. A lot of people believing if he lost that fight, he would get cut by the promotion. And yet here we are, eight wins in his past nine, and he's the light heavyweight champion. Yeah, it's great to see uh, Jan glow up like this. Uh, you said one statistic there about TJ Dillashaw going up Oh, he went late. down. Didn't he, he went go down. down. Yeah. So BJ Penn, I, let's see, who else went down in weight that lost the, the belt? Do you remember? Uh, I, don't, Dilla, I don't remember. D- I'm Dillashaw think... was the only person who went down in weight to try and become a double champ. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of, I mean, that was a terrible move yeah. in retrospect, obviously, and paid off horribly. Um, but yeah, Blahovich is, is so fun. I mean, so fun seeing the guy uh, grow up in the UFC, improve in the UFC. Uh, a little humble brag, actually. On the March MMA podcast, I've broken down or analyzed seven of Blahovich's fights, and I'm six and one. The only one I got wrong was the Corey Anderson fight, but I have I picked him to win against Manuel Krylov, Rockhold. Uh, Jacare and Dom Reyes, and I picked them to lose against Santos. So, I think my eye for for Jan Blachowicz is is pretty good. If I'm saying, if I say so myself, do you think there's been an element of disrespect around how the UFC have treated Jan? Because you have this great fairy tale story, the veteran guy finally coming good, unlikely champion upset win, and yet there's been no sort of pomp and ceremony about that. He's immediately been thrown into basically used as a sacrificial lamb to try and crown Adesanya a double champ. I mean, I'm a bit selfish because I'm a Jan Blachowicz fan, but I would have loved, like, say, Fight Night Krakow, defends his title against Glover Tashira, big partisan crowd, sort of what they did with Bisping when he fought Dan Henderson. Yeah, well, obviously the issue with that is, is, is the crowd, yeah. too. Um, In an ideal I, world, obviously. I think, yeah, I think I think he is a, a bit disrespected, Um being thrown into this fight, I mean, he should at least get the chance to defend his belt. Uh, I mean, maybe he wanted it though. Maybe he, he, he really pushed for this fight. I mean, I don't like the matchup for him. I mean, he's certainly disrespected in terms of betting lines. I mean, if you look at his recent betting lines, I think he's been the underdog in like seven out of his past eight fights, and he's won six or seven of them. So, um, yeah, Manawa underdog, Krylov underdog, Santos underdog. Rockhold underdog. He was the favorite versus Souza. And then, of course, he was the underdog against Anderson Reyes, and he's the underdog here, too. So he's a consistent underdog. He's won a lot as an underdog. Um, unfortunately, this matchup, I, I don't like it for him. Um, I'll, you, you could start this one out, uh, Carl. Start. To, you can start talking about how you like uh, Jan's chances here. Well, the things I like about Jan Blachowicz, I think that he's got very tight defense. 
which is obviously going to be a big factor when it comes to Adesanya. He has good use of the jab and some quite powerful kicks, which Dominic Reyes knows all too well because Reyes's, the side of Reyes's body was absolutely beaten up for the work that Jan was going to do. Uh, I think his wrestling is quite underappreciated. I think that he, we saw that when he fought Nikita Krylov, who himself is a fairly solid grappler, but Jan just completely had, had his will with him on the ground. And I'm interested to see as well, and this is probably the best path to victory, in my opinion, for Jan Blachowicz, if he's able to get inside and turn this into a dirty, grimy, sort of wall and stall clinch fight, similar to what he did against Jokovic. Because I don't think Adesanya is going to like that, especially when Adesanya is the guy coming up and it's maybe going to be a bit undersized for 205. Yeah, that's what I was thinking early on in this fight is if Jan wants to win, he's probably going to have to get that clinch, get against the cage, um, like that terrible Chakra Sosa fight. Uh, I always say about that fight, no one really knows what happened because it's too boring to rewatch. No one's going to put the time in to rewatch it. So anything could have happened in that fight for all we know. The whole card, to be honest, was pretty bad on that one. I think the only highlight was Paul Craig rocking Shogun. That was the only thing I remember <laughs> from that card. The only good moment, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember seeing a, a journalist, uh, Fernanda Pratas, say that she's been to two main events in the past year or something. One was uh, Shevchenko versus Karmouche, and the other one was Blahovich versus Jacare. So uh, some bad bad luck for people in uh, South America, UFC fans in South America. Um but I, so I was thinking that he was going to have to get that clinch to get the fight against the cage to maybe look to wrestle. But Adesanya's movement is so good. His footwork is so good. He's not going to really let Jan get that close, in my opinion. I mean, maybe Jan rushes him and does that kind of bull rush like he does where he kind of drags his feet behind him and throws uh, a, a spamming combination of punches. Maybe he can catch... Uh, Adesanya off guard like that. Maybe he can get him against the cage, but it's going to be extremely hard uh, to get him against the cage. He does have the small cage uh, to kind of benefit him here, but I was leaning like submission or decision being the best way for for Jan to win. Like maybe he takes him down and, and chokes him out. Maybe he pushes him against the cage for three out of five rounds. But I'm I'm sort of leaning catching that lucky punch and that that. That perfect punch for Blahovich being his only way to win. I don't see him having the wrestling to take down Adesanya. Adesanya's footwork is going to be hard for him to catch. And even his takedown defense is pretty solid. I don't think that Blahovich has proven enough solid wrestling. Uh, you, you mentioned the Krylov fight. It was actually Krylov that took Blahovich down. Blahovich reversed it and then ended up in top position. And then once he realized that he's the better grappler at round two, he just, I think, took him down and submitted him with an arm triangle. Um, but, but that is true. I mean, Karlov is is a solid defensive grappler, and Blahovich was able to tap him out. So if Blahovich somehow ends up on top here, he could find a submission. But I see it being difficult for him to do so. I don't trust his wrestling quite enough. Uh, so I think that Blahovich's path to victory here is pretty limited to catching that 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 puncher's chance knockout. Um, and I think Israel likely styles on him, does a lot of damage, and, and, and finds a late knockout. Um, what are you thinking, Carl? Are you thinking uh, knockout decision for Adesanya? I think you're kind of leaning Israel, right? I'm leaning Israel as well, and I think he's going to do it by knockout. I think that... I, there's a lot of qualities about Jan Blachowicz that I like. I think that he is very underrated as a fighter. And we've seen the, the jump in improvements. I mean, look at the Jan Blachowicz 
who fought against Pat Cummins, who gassed himself out at the end of the second round, and compare him to the guy that fought Dominic Reyes, it is a completely different person. But Adesanya has just been on another level. And remember, a lot of people thought Paulo Costa was going to give Adesanya a lot of problems, being the bigger, stronger fighter, being able to just swarm and wade through anything that Izzy throws at him. And Costa just had no idea what to do with Adesanya's movement. And I think we're going to see a similar situation. I think Blahovic is going to be able to handle the adversity a lot better than what Costa did. But outside of that big punch and maybe trying to clinch him up against the fence, I don't see Blahovic having the avenues to win in the same way that Adesanya does. To be honest, the biggest issue I have in regards to like Adesanya with this title fight is something we touched on earlier in the show. Should he even be having it in the first place? Because, of course, we've got double champs. We're not too fond on the idea. But also, as well, Glover Tashiva, four-fight winning streak, beats Thiago Santos it's by five, submission. Yeah. Five-fight winning streak, beats um, beats Thiago Santos in his most recent fight. He should be fighting for that belt. Yep. Um, beat him by finish in a main event. And then Thiago Santos is on this card, the guy who just got his ass whooped by Glover Teixeira. And he gets the opportunity to fight on the big card. And Glover Teixeira is, you know, off on the sidelines. Maybe Glover's hurt. Maybe there's something we didn't know about. But I, I, I believe le- I, le- I believe Glover is um, I believe Glover is going to be the backup. So if anything does happen to Adesanya or Blahovitz, Glover steps in to take a place. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's better than nothing. Um, but yeah, just massive disrespect on Glover's part. It's really sad. I mean, Blahovitz versus Glover would have been. A fun old man fight. Um, who would who wouldn't have liked to see that? But now uh, we get kind of a, kind of a mismatch, in my opinion. And the betting lines have Adesanya minus two forty, which is about seventy two percent. I mean, actually a little bit lower. I think it's I think it's just above seventy. Um, I think Adesanya could be closer to seventy five eighty percent here. I think he could be minus three fifty instead of minus two fifty. So. I think that the betting value is on Adesanya here. I think that this is a really favorable matchup. For the people who think that Blahovich is going to be able to catch him with a punch or, or knock him out, Adesanya is the better technical striker. He's fought in kickboxing at a, a weight class above 185. So he's fought in bigger guys before. He's fought in bigger punchers before. He's fought in better strikers before. And I don't see Jan Blahovich being able to overcome all of the disadvantages here. He's... The, le- the least technical striker, he's slower. Adesanya is significantly quicker. And it's not like Blahovich has, like, incredible power. I mean, the dude definitely has some pop in his hands. We've seen him drop guys with both both hands. Uh, I think he knocked out Rockhold with the left hook, and he knocked out uh, Anderson with a right hand. Uh, so he's got power in both hands. But I think both of those knockouts were more of a matter of the opponents being out of position and having poor defense. Adesanya is not going to do that. He's not going to give Blahovich opportunities. And I think we really see uh, Adesanya pour it on. Um, so the over over under here is two and a half rounds, Carl. Do you think it goes over or under? I'm going to say Adesanya. I think I'm going to say third round. There's just something in yep. my gut. I think that Jan's a durable fighter. So I don't think Adesanya is going to have it as easy as what he did against Costa. Um, I think Blahovitz maybe does cause him some problems early in the fight, but Adesanya is able to read him and manages to get it done in the third round. Yeah, I'm thinking third round too. That's enough for me to pass on over under. I don't think 
I think that that's a well-set line at 12 and a half minutes. Um, it, it could realistically be either. I sort of lean over because Blahovic is tough. We might not see Adesanya with that same power at 205. But I think the damage will, will pile up. The light kicks Adesanya will pile up. Um, but Blahovic, I mean, he has some things going right for him in this fight. I mean, he does check leg kicks, so that could be a, benef- a benefit for him. He does... Uh, counter when his opponents kick at him so Blahovich or Adesanya won't be able to just kick freely Blahovich will be firing strikes back but Blahovich's kicks that's one of his best attributes mm-hmm. he's gonna have trouble landing them here because in my opinion he doesn't set them up really well he kind of just throws them naked without much setup and that's that's a recipe for disaster against Adesanya he will catch those kicks he will counter you hard he will do damage um so I hope Blahovic makes it interesting. I hope Blahovic attempts to take down and you know gives us some excitement here. But I'm ultimately uh, expecting pretty one way traffic for Adesanya, and we are agree- in agreement with a third round knockout for uh, Adesanya here. And if that does happen, the big question becomes what happens with Israel Adesanya because you've got a host of people in the middleweight division who are all potentially wanting to try and get a hold of that belt. I mean, obviously, Robert Whitaker has more than staked his claim for a rematch. You've got potentially the Darren Till, Marvin Vittori winner, Kevin Holland, who's on a fantastic winning streak. Does he go back down to middleweight? Does he stay light heavyweight and give Glover that deserved uh, title shot? Or did the UFC try and go for the money fight and convince John Jones to go back down? I don't think John Jones wants to fight Adesanya. Um... I think he knows he will lose. Uh, I think, honestly, Adesanya would be a betting favorite if he's able to to beat Blahovich if he proves to people that he can fight a light heavyweight. I mean, I already think he should be a favorite over John Jones. Uh, John Jones lost his past two fights, in my opinion. And, I mean, John Jones' stock is lower than ever right now. He um, beat Anthony Smith. He illegally kneed him in the head. It was a terrible fight. It, he... Didn't show good skill in that fight. He loses to Thiago Santos. Santos won rounds one, two, and five. He loses to Dom Reyes. Dom Reyes won rounds one, two, and three. And then Thiago Santos gets goes out and gets finished in his next fight. Dom Reyes goes out and gets finished in his next fight. I mean, he's he's irrelevant in my opinion. I mean, I could care less what John Jones uh, is doing, whether he's going to heavyweight or not. I think he's he's. Just making up all the stuff about going to heavyweight just to stay relevant. He's a really fragile guy. His ego is really fragile. And he has to, anytime another fighter is getting the spotlight or getting credit, he has to throw his name in the hat. Like even Khabib, people were calling Khabib the best ever. And he was like taking shots at Khabib, insulting his resume. I mean, uh, John Jones is a piece of shit. He, he's way past his prime. I don't care about him anymore. Uh, as for Adesanya, I hope he goes back down to middleweight. I mean, I don't think he has many tough tests at light heavyweight. Um, maybe Rakich would be a, a fun test. But Whitaker, I think, is probably the best opponent to, to beat um, Adesanya. Uh, the Marvin Vittori rematch is interesting to me. And I think that Derek Brunson is going to upset Kevin Holland. So I don't think that Holland has a great chance either. Um, we already saw the ho- how Brunson versus Adesanya goes, though. So, I mean, anywhere Adesanya goes, he has favorable matchups. I think he's one of the best fighters in the UFC right now. Uh, I put him at number three behind Volkanovski and Usman. So he can do whatever he wants. He, I think he wins fights wherever he goes. And uh, all, all power to him. I love the guy. Uh, 
great personality, great fighter, and uh, I think he should just keep beating up on whoever he wants to, uh, whatever he decides uh, weight class is best for him. You do realize that John Jones rant's going to go viral, but like Mike Perry won. Yeah, yeah, true. I mean, some, some, somebody commented when I said Usman is the best pound-for-pound fighter, and they said, what about Khabib? What about John Jones? Uh, Khabib's retired, and John Jones might as well be retired because he hasn't won a fight in two years. Which is, in UFC's logic, enough to give him a title shot if uh, Dominic Cruz is anything to go by. Yeah, yeah, right. That might as well, might as well sit out for another year, and then they'll give him a title shot in 2022 or something. On the whole, though, we make all the jokes. Uh, we've talked about some of our issues with double champs, but we can't dispute the fact this looks like potentially a fantastic fight card. Yeah, true. I mean, like I said, we're the we suffered through the bad cards throughout the past few weeks. We have the good cards ahead of us, um, but uh, be prepared for like the end of the prelims to the, up until the Yan fight to be the best part of the card. Um, Expect a pretty steep drop-off after the Jan fight. Um, but, man, the prelims stacked top to bottom. I'm excited for uh, my man Mario Bautista on the prelims. Like you mentioned, Eros Medic making his de- UFC debut. And there's incredible matchups. Joe Benavidez, Askarov, Casey Kenny, uh, Dom Cruz. Uh, so this card's going to be incredible. We don't have much to complain about here. We're kind of nitpicking things to complain about. But, uh, you know, we like to do that at some times. Yeah, watch most of the fights get um, cancelled. <laughs> oh no no yeah i mean yeah they probably they probably will if we have to sacrifice one title fight we know which one we're picking mm-hmm. yes um on the whole though it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you about all of these fights coming up john for anybody who might have just joined us again can you give them a reminder where to go for any of any information regarding yourself yeah thanks again for having me carl it's always a lot of fun talk, talking with you having me on your channel and uh, we always have good discussions. Um, we see see the fights pretty similar most of the time, but uh, I like when we disagree as well. But you can find me on YouTube, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts at Martian MMA. Uh, you can see in the poster right there. I talk about the betting lines for every single UFC fight uh, for the past three years straight. So haven't missed a single UFC fight in that time. And you can find me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That's where you I post all my official bets. Uh, that's where I post links, a lot of different takes I have on there. So if you're liking what you're hearing from me, follow me on Twitter. And uh, thanks again to Carl and the INC Live channel for having me. You're very welcome, John. And we'll be doing it again, hopefully, in, what, two, three weeks' time? Uh, UFC 260 is just around the corner. Two more title fights, including that Francis Ngannou steep in the Orchard rematch. Yep, yep. Another good card coming up soon. Thank you very much for joining me, John. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in as well. Please like, subscribe, do whatever you can to try and help this channel grow. Uh, my name's been Carl Burnbridge. That's been John Martian. This has been the INC. Thank you for watching.